Hi, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview speech language pathologists who are just starting out in the field, from undergrads who are interested in becoming SLPs to those who are currently practicing clinicians. We will cover it all, including current graduate students, people in clinical fellowship years, and everything in between. Here you can learn all about what it's like to get started, how paths change, and connect with people that are going through the same things you are. I'm your host, Christy Ubieta, and I'm currently a first-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Speeching It Real. Today is a special episode. I'm joined by Molly McGuire. She's my roommate. Hey. (laughs) And we are going to do a special episode about phonological processes. But first, hello, Molly. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. I'm excited. All righty. Well, let's just jump right into it, unless there's anything you want to say. I don't think so. Let's do it. Okay. So, Molly, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about phonological processes? Okay, I would love to. We took our speech sound disorders class in the spring, and so we got to learn all about them. Phonological processes are when children make predictable and typical patterns of speech sound errors. These phonological processes are considered part of typical speech development, and because of that, we expect them to be suppressed at certain ages. So for example, we expect fronting, final consonant deletion, gliding, stopping, etc. But when they're present for longer than we expect is when a phonological disorder is present. And we're going to get into some specific details about each of the phonological processes and the ages with which we expect them to be resolved. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a couple of terms that we should consider when we're working with kids with phonological process disorders. For example, we have phonetic versus phonemic differences and how they affect those processes. So Molly, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about phonetic? When a child has a phonetic disability, we are looking at the single sounds and we are trying to teach that child how to specifically say each sound. Really, the emphasis is on physically teaching the child how to place and manipulate their articulators to make the sound. So this can be how to place and manipulate their tongue to make a certain sound, their lips, and stuff like that. For example, when we're teaching a child to produce the L sound, we might teach them to put their tongue up and behind their front teeth. And we might do this by looking in a mirror and first modeling that production ourselves before they try to produce it. After the child mastered at the phonetic level, we might see some phonemic differences or disorders, and a phonemic disorder is when a child is able to physically produce that sound, but they're actually using it in the wrong spot. So a really good example of this is a child might say T for the word key, and then also T for T. So this is an example where harmony is present. They're using the same sound for different words. And so when we are working with a child who has a phonemic disability, we want them to be able to recognize that different sounds make different words. And so in turn, if you're using the wrong sound, you're going to produce the wrong word. So we might do this by if the child asks you for T, 
but they're trying to ask you for a key, we might give them a teacup or a tea bag, and then they're going to be able to realize that they're making the wrong sound, and then therefore they will be able to use the contrast when trying to produce these two sounds. That's great. Yeah. So showing them that the words that they're saying and the sounds that they're making influence the meaning of things. Yeah. And that if you ask for the wrong thing, you're going to get something different. Yes, exactly. Perfect. And then another thing I want to jump in here is that there's a difference between, and you might hear, phonetic versus phonemic inventory. So if a child is stimulable for a sound, that means that it is in their phonetic inventory versus if it's Something like if they say day instead of they, and they they can make the sound, the TH sounds, but they still say day in actual words, then it's not in their phonemic inventory. So phonetic, they can make the sound phonemic. They're not using it in the right place. Exactly. Alrighty. So Molly, are you ready to jump into our phonological processes? Yes. Let's see how much I remember. <laughs> okay. This will be fun. Okay, so first we're going to focus on some whole word process syllable structures, which means that any of these phonological processes alters the structure of the word. So let's do, let's start with deletion of unstressed syllable and or weak syllable deletion. This one's not my favorite, so I'll let you take this one. Okay, so this is when weak syllables are left out And we expect this to resolve by the time kiddos are four years old. For example, they might say pewter for computer. One that I think that we hear pretty often, especially with our younger kiddos, and if you have children yourself or you babysit, you probably hear this, they'll say the word nana for banana. And then also a really hard word is elephant. So you might just hear them say effant. They are deleting that Um weak syllable in the middle there. Mm-hmm. And one of the fun ones I like is potato. They say tato, tato, tato. That's so fun. <laughs> okay, you want to take the next one? Sure. So the next one is final consonant deletion. And this one is pretty self-explanatory. It's when the child deletes the final consonants. And we see this especially in consonant, vowel, consonant words. This phonological process we expect to resolve by around three years of age. So one example of this is the child might say k for cup. So again, they're deleting that final p sound. And so that's an example of a CVC word too, in case anyone's wondering. Um, Another thing they might do is drop... One that's interesting is when you spell out the word like home... Even though there's an E at the end of it and a vowel, that vowel sound doesn't make a specific vowel sound at the end. So if a kid is final constant deleting the word home, they might say ho because they're dropping the m, which is what the sound, what the word actually ends with. So you have to make sure that you're looking at the phonemes that are being said and not necessarily the graphemes associated with the word. And graphemes are um, just like the letters that create the words, representations of sounds that we use to spell. (laughs) One of the ways that I always remembered it while I was studying and stuff is, again, you're trying to, you're looking at them deleting the final consonant, not the final vowel or the final sound or the final letter. So sometimes you might think that it's home because it ends with a E, but then that wouldn't be them deleting the final consonant. It would just be ho. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So I'll take on the next one, initial consonant deletion, very similar to final consonant deletion, except it's the first consonant in it. So 
um, we could see this in the word pin, which could be said as in. And another really interesting thing, if a kiddo is initial consonant deleting, that means that even consonant clusters, all of those consonants are being deleted. For example, a word like frame or blue, it would from frame it would turn into aim, and for blue it would turn into oo, because both of those consonants would be deleted. So with initial consonant deletion, this is not something that we typically expect. Like final consonant deletion, we're expecting our one, two, and maybe early three-year-olds to do this, but initial consonant deletion is atypical speech development, so it's typically a little bit more severe and definitely less common. Why don't you take on, why don't you tell us a little bit about what cluster reductions are? Yeah, we have S cluster reduction, R cluster reduction, L cluster reduction. And so this is when they're, whatever the cluster reduction is. So if it's S cluster reduction, this is when the whole consonant cluster is deleted, one segment of the cluster is deleted. And this is, again, a cluster is when there are two consonants together, two or three it can be. And so this can be the whole consonant cluster is deleted, one segment, or it can be substituted by another segment. So for example, S cluster reduction, the child might be saying piter for spider. Yeah, and a really common one might be like tar for star or top for stop. Those examples and the ones that we, I think we both came up with, they're deleting the S. But for example, a kid might say, instead of star, they might just completely remove like the S and the T and say R. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can also see like, I have a kiddo who for spider says fighter. They're completely removing both of those sounds. It's it's a labialization, what they're doing, moving the S and the P Mm -hmm. forward, which we'll talk about labialization later. Um, But we also expect S clusters to be resolved by the age of five, but all of the other cluster reductions is how old again? I think it's four. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit earlier. Okay. Um, Another cluster reduction that we talked about was R's. Um, Again, it's when all of the consonant clusters and all of the consonant cluster reductions is when the consonant cluster is deleted, a segment is deleted, or it's substituted. So for an R, an example would be saying bound for brown or bane for brain. Or even fog for frog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of these you can start to see where this is going to be, this is where you're going to teach them that different sounds make different words. And if you forget a sound or you're using a sound wrong, you're going to have a different meaning. So I thought of that when I said the example fog and frog. Those two words have completely different meanings. And so it's really important to the, teach the child and make them aware that they're using maybe the wrong sound and that's going to then produce the wrong word and then their meaning is going to be affected. For sure. Okay, so next we'll do L cluster reduction. And again, it's the same definition for all of them. So I'll just go in right away and give some examples. And so this might be when a child says back for black or boo for blue. Love it. My favorite is when they say flower for flower. Um, Okay, so I'm going to jump into the last whole word process syllable structure 
which is reduplication. And that's when kids repeat a syllable of a word. So this completely changes the structure and it should resolve by the age of three. So an example is when they say wawa for water, baba for bottle or baba maybe. (laughs) Or even dada for daddy. And when you were giving this example, it was making us making me think about what our speech sound disorders teacher would always say. And like we said earlier, we expect these in normal speech development. And so it's really cute when you have a two-year-old saying wawa for water or baba for bottle. But when these phonological processes persist and they're not suppressed like we expect them to, it's not as cute when you have a six or seven-year-old saying wawa for that's just something to be aware of. And this is why speech therapy for speech sound disorders exists. Definitely. So let's jump into assimilatory processes. Go ahead. Which one should we start with? I can start with velar regressive assimilation. Okay, let's do it. And so this one should resolve by around three years. This is when it's usually in CVC words that we see this, and it's when the word starts with an alveolar and then it ends in a velar sound. The child will then replace the velar at the end of the word with the alveolar in the beginning. So let's take a quick pause and mention what, like a cut. Let's say what a couple alveolar sounds are, and then what a couple velar sounds are. So alveolar sounds, I always think about it with the tongue is going to be on your hard palate towards the front of your mouth. So sounds like t, d, l, s, sound z sounds. So it's when your hard palate is where your tongue is. Perfect. And then some alveolar. So you said alveolar. I'll say velar. That's like your cut and your ga and your ing. So those sounds are made towards the back, back of, of your, your mouth. mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jokes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some examples of velar regressive, the child might say gog for dog. So again, they're moving that velar and replacing it with the alveolar at the beginning of the word. And they might say cuck for duck or maybe cock for sock. (laughs) That's always a fun one. Parents love that. (laughs) They usually do. They get a good little giggle out of those. You love these are like really fun to see in kids because they're always a little bit cute when they're young. And again, like Molly has said a bunch of times, we expect to see it. And that's when we kind of giggle about it. But then again, there comes an age when it's not so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'll take the next one, which is denasalization. Actually, yeah, let's go with denasalization. So that's when a nasal sound, which an example of that is an m, m, or n, n, and it's replaced by a non-nasal sound, and that's any non-nasal sound. But examples of that are like p, b, the th sounds, th, th, f, and v, any of those. Um, and we're expecting this to resolve by two and a half years old. And some examples of this is when a kid says door for more or bob for mom is this one that is typical like do we expect every child to do this or is this one atypical it's not that it's atypical but it resolves so young that it's not super obvious i think okay that makes sense i was like i don't remember learning about this yeah this is like when kiddos are making these like it's super it's not super common but kids are so young by the time that it resolves it's like two two and a half years old so it's 
not really something you focus on super. That makes sense. At least not in schools because it's usually gone by then. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll go do, which one do I want to do? I'll do final consonant devoicing. Okay. Because I had final consonant deletion. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) So you're just going to stick with the same The final consonants ones. Okay. Okay. So this is when a voiced consonant is replaced by a non-voiced consonant in the final position. And we expect this to be resolved by around three years. So an example might be buck for bug or false for falls. Mm-hmm. This one's a little bit of a hard one for me. Yeah, it's a lot of that. This is where you're really focusing on. They're going to be in the same category. For example, it's going to be two bilabial stops and the voiced sound, which is the b, is being replaced by a p but it's being replaced by a voiceless sound in that same section so it's still a stop it's still a bilabial and i think like this isn't super super common Mm -hmm. but it does resolve pretty young also and it kind of makes sense i see this a lot with kids at front like they they teeter between whether or not they're going to use a voice or a voiceless sound Mm -hmm. even if or that's also really common in stopping yeah that kids just replace the sound with either easier sound to make like even if they're producing a voiced th they might use a voiceless stop which would be like a t Mm -hmm. okay i'll do the next one uh since you did finals i'll do initials (laughs) so we could do pre-vocalic voicing so this one is when there's a voiceless consonant like we were saying before that would be like a t and it's replaced by a voiced consonant like d so it's the same exact thing as what Molly just went over, which is final consonant devoicing, except it happens at the beginning of a sentence. I'm sorry, at the beginning of a word. So instead of saying jug, a kid might say chug. Sorry, I'm thinking. Or they might say bit when they mean pit. Yeah, so they're taking a non-voiced sound and making it voiced. Mm-hmm. And this one's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily more common, but it resolves a lot later. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, six. Yeah, it's yeah. six. It's definitely six. Yeah. So another example would be the child might be trying to say fine, but they say vine instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So this one definitely affects the meaning of the word a lot. Oh, yeah. So this will really infect intelligibility. Oh, for sure. This would be pretty, I feel like it would be really hard to notice too, mm-hmm. because it affects intelligibility so much that you would only know if a kid is like really frustrated with you not understanding what they're saying. Yeah. Because it, they, they're very clearly words. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a lot harder to tell when they're actually using real words for it. Yeah. I wonder if this is why this one we expect to resolve so much later mm-hmm. because it is so hard to recognize yeah. and notice. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe don't they know. really don't notice it until they're in school. No, oh, it's possible. Or when there's like an association. Yeah. Okay, why don't you take the next one? All right, so I'll do coalescence. Okay, that leaves me with metathesis. (laughs) (laughs) Good, because metathesis is also not my favorite. Okay, so coalescence is when two sounds are replaced by one different sound. But this sound typically has similar features to the two sounds that they're replacing. Okay. So a child might say fee for tree. So the T and the R sound are being replaced by the f sound. Mm, okay, so my kiddo right now is doing that. 
And I mentioned it at the top that it could be like an S cluster reduction. Mm -hmm. I guess it wouldn't technically be that it would be a coalescence. Like my kiddo says Fida instead of spider. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Because they're replacing that SP for F, which is easier to say. Yeah. It's a little bit more efficient. Totally. And I've been writing constant cluster reduction, but I'm wrong and I'm going to need to go back and fix it. I don't think you're technically wrong. But there's a more finite way to define it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Do you have any other examples of coalescence? Um, Definitely fighter for spider. <laughs> Foon for spoon. I can only think of them with like S's. Same. Okay. So I'll jump into metathesis. So this is when consonants or syllables are being interchanged or reversed. And that's kind of complex to understand. So the best way to think about it is with examples. Like super cute when kiddos say pischetti for spaghetti and aminol for animal or hamburger for hamburger yeah one i think that it's super common is when they say can i ask you a question Mm -hmm. instead of ask totally that's like they always say that i don't really know when this one resolves but we'd have to i'm gonna be linking stuff in the show notes so hopefully one of those links has it but i i really don't remember when i don't know either yeah that's okay So let's go into the next one, which would be like segment change processes. Why don't you start? Pick whichever. Gliding, stopping, fronting, defrontation. I'm going to choose fronting, velar fronting, because that's one of my personal favorites. I think it's one of the easiest to remember. Okay. Okay. So this is when a velar sound. So again, those sounds that are made in the back of your mouth, such as k and g, those are harder sounds to say are replaced by alveolar sounds, which are, again, the sounds that are made towards the front of your mouth, like t or d, and we expect this to resolve around three and a half. And so examples of this are if the child is trying to say dog, but they actually say dod, or the child is trying to say cat, but the child says tat, tit for kit. kit. (laughs) It's always fun. Or even tan for can. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, I'll do stopping. That's another easy, very, very common one. So this is when kids are replacing fricatives or affricates with a stop. So a fricative is those TH sounds, the S and the Z sounds, and affricates are the CH and J, so like Jeep, cheap sounds, and stops are your T's, your D's, your P, your B. Can I just really quick jump in and say how I remember some of the fricative sounds? Yes, please. I don't know if this is like a technical way to remember it, but I always think of fricative and affricates as sounds that continue on. So for example, like like she said, so F sound, you can continue on, say it for a long time. Oh, that's a great one. But then when you stop it, you're saying duh. You can't continue on saying Duh, for a long time, mm, mm-hmm. if that like, makes sense. Th- yeah. You'd stop. A d- like, you can't go. D- d- yeah. It's it's done. That's probably the actual way to think about it, and that's probably how it got its name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, some examples of this. Oh, sorry. Stopping should also reserve, resolve around five years old. So it's pretty common for you to see these when a kiddo comes in who's four and a half and parents are like, oh my gosh, their intelligibility, I don't know what they're saying. You can tell them that it's not expected to resolve until five. It's okay if they're like five 
years, two months, five years, five months, like it's going to resolve ideally, but it's great to still get services. So some examples of that might be one of my favorites. They say dupe for soup (laughs) (laughs) or they say pat for fat. Another one is when they say duh for the very common day for they. I feel like this is a pretty common Mm -hmm. one that we see. Definitely. Definitely. So um, why don't you go ahead? Oh, did you have any other examples of stopping you wanted to throw in? Not that I can think of at the moment. Cool. So why don't you take another one on? Okay. I'll do gliding. And this is one that is super common, especially in the schools. And a lot of people think that this is the only thing that speech therapists can do is teach kids how to say the R sound. So gliding is when a liquid, so such as a L or an R sound, is replaced with a glide, and usually it's just the W sound. So for example, the child might say wed for red, or wike for like, or wug for rug, and going back from at the very beginning when I was talking about phonemic um, disabilities and differences, where you really want to get them to break up that harmony, mm-hmm. so them using the W sound for both like and reich, for example. Mm-hmm. Not that that's really a word we use, yeah. but this is where you really want them to be able to hear the difference. And it's super interesting because a lot of kids might not be able to hear it in themselves, but they can hear it when an adult or the clinician is saying it. Mm -hmm. So last semester, I had a child who was gliding only L's. Well, she was gliding R's too, but she was younger. So we expect R's to develop later. And so some of the things that we would say is she would say, like, if she was trying to say the word lake, but she would say wake. So we'd be like, oh, you want to go to the wake or oh, are you trying to tell me that you're feeling awake right now? And she'd be like, no, no, I want to go to the wake. I want to go swimming in the wake. And so she was really, she heard it wrong when we were saying it, but then she still had a hard time producing that sound. And so it's all about just making them aware, again, that different sounds produce different words and different words have different meanings and kids want to be understood. And so a lot of times once you make them aware, that change can happen a lot easier. For sure. I have a kiddo now also who is gliding and some of his favorite words that are just so fun that he <laughs> says all the time is swide yeah. for a slide. And there's no real word that that represents. So one of the ones that we've been working on, and my kid glides both his R's and his L's, but one of the ones that I love working on is he loves lizards. Mm. And so he's always saying wizards. And I said, there's a wizard? Where's there a wizard? And he's like, no, no, the green wizard. And I'm like, I don't see a wizard. Does he do magic tricks? But again, he's also pretty young. So there's definitely a fine line between making sure they're aware of it and then also just making them mad and frustrated. Of course. But I want to make sure he's hearing it when I say it too. Oh, definitely. Because sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. Like he, ring and wing are just completely the same word right now. Right. I mean, he's little and Mm -hmm. 
the R sound is really hard. <laughs> Super hard. Like if any of the listeners can, who maybe aren't speech therapists yet, maybe, if you think about how to actually produce the R sound, like how do you teach a child to say that? Yeah, especially- like it's really hard. Especially if they don't have the L. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can use it with an E also. You can use the E and bring your tongue, like roll your tongue all the way back mm-hmm. on the roof of your mouth. But when they have the L, you can also have them do the same thing with rolling their tongue back because if it's in the furthest most position, they really feel it going back. Right. And that's like great. But if they don't have the L either, it's really, really hard. And you're like just looking at someone's mouth and they're making the R sound. It's so complex. It's so hard. That's why – that's when those – mouth and tongue models can come in oh yeah handy definitely those are epic yes um okay so i'll do deafrication that means you can have african okay okay so deafrication is when affricates are replaced by a fricative so affricates are like the ch the ch in cheap and jeep like i said before um those are both affricate sounds and they're replaced by a fricative so a fricative like we've talked about before the, the th sounds z, z, sh, z, like z sounds like the zoo <laughs> um so it's replaced by that those should resolve around four years old um examples of that is when a kid says ship like i want a ship but they really mean they want a chip mm-hmm. or um i want to sit in the chair but they really mean to say i want to sit in the chair yeah Okay, so then the next one is affrication, and I'll just share how I remember the two. This might not be helpful, but this is how my brain works, because these ones can be get really confusing because it's deaffrication and affrication. Mm-hmm. So when I see deaffrication, I always think of you're going to take away the affricate. So you're like, you know, D is sometimes like taking something away. Mm-hmm. Um so you're taking away that affricate and replacing it with a fricative. And then for the next one is affrication. And so you're going to then add in an affricate. So it's becoming an affricate sound. I'm not sure if that makes sense to anyone else, but that's how I think about it. Yeah. So the fricative is being replaced by an affricate. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this one's the opposite of what Christy was just talking about. So that's when a child might say chat for that or like Christy gave the example already of share and chair so the child might say chair instead of share Mm -hmm. I want to chair something with you yeah exactly yeah yeah and then again the chip and ship example the child would say chip for ship Mm -hmm. I want to go on a rocket chip For sure. And that one should resolve by three, right? Yeah. That one is resolved pretty early. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's not – replacing a sound with an Africa is not like the most efficient way to speak. No. Because the Africans are harder for me to say. For sure. They are. Yeah. They just are. (laughs) Okay. So I'll take on backing. So backing is when an alveolar sound like a T or a D – are replaced by velar sound K and G. So this is less common and we don't really have a timeline that I expect them to resolve because it's so uncommon. So um, this is a, it's just harder to make those sounds like yeah. you were saying before. Like most of the time the sounds are in the front, like the T and D are in the front of your mouth versus the K and G is like all the way in the back. 
And so for kids to make that sound over the front easier sounds is just not as common. So I remember our speech sound disorders teacher was telling us that if you see a super young kindergartner fronting, that might not be something that would qualify for them for speech therapy right away. Again, if it persists a lot longer, then you might definitely want to see them. But then if you see a child backing Because it's not common and it's not part of typical speech development, we do not expect this at all. This might be something that you want to see them right away for and nip it in the bud. And this might be if a child has some sort of structural difference, they might be producing the sounds in the back of their mouth or something maybe with their nasal system Mm. or something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to think. But... So again, this is just not something that we expect, so. No, but some examples in the event that you ever do see it is like saying kin for tin or like a gill for dill, like I want a gill pickle. (laughs) Or like thick for fit. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I can do, let's see, I'll do vowelization. That one's kind of a tongue twister. Yeah, that one goes really well with gliding. Since you were yeah. talking about it earlier. So this is when the L or the maybe the R sound or just R sounds in general. So again, those liquid sounds are then instead of replaced with a gliding sound like in gliding, so a W sound, they're replaced with a vowel. And we usually see this when the liquid sound is at the end of the word. So for example, the child is trying to say car and they say ka or spider and the child is saying spider. So they're adding that vowel sound at the end. This can be a little bit confusing as I'm doing this with final consonant deletion. But the biggest thing to remember is they're adding that vowel sound. They're not deleting the sound. Yeah. And that's something that we see, like you can actually see it in the middle of a word because my kid does that. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, um, let me think of a word. What's a word that has an L in the middle? I'm just totally drawing a blank. Kawa. Molly. Or Molly. He might say like Ma'i. Yeah, he's adding that vowel. Mm -hmm. He's replacing it, replacing the liquid with a vowel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's another one that's like, oh, like ba'un. He says ba'un, ba'un. That makes uh, sense. Big uh. Yeah. (laughs) That one's an interesting one. Do you know when this is supposed to be suppressed? I think it goes along with when R's develop. So I think kids are expected to have the R in the final sound at like five. Yeah. So I think it's supposed to stop around five or six. Okay. But don't quote me on that. Sorry, guys. (laughs) You're up for the next one. Okay. Um, I'll do alveolarization maybe. Okay. Okay. So alveolarization is when a non-alveolar sound, so that's any non-alveolar sound, is substituted by an alveolar sound. So this is like super, super similar to stopping, but it does include sounds other than fricatives and affricates. So any sound can be turned into an alveolar sound. And we expect this to resolve by five. I feel like most people would probably call this stopping mm-hmm. more so than alveolarization but an example might be if they say two for shoe or dud for mud yeah this one couldn't it's, it also be like 
tum for thumb? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, again, it's probably people are more likely to immediately refer to it as stopping. Mm -hmm. But if you do like the Goldman Fristo and the Con Lewis, it would probably show alveolarization. Yeah. But it's not the primary things people are looking at because they're looking for... They're looking for the patterns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I'll do label labeliza- labeliza- labialization. Labialization. <laughs> These are so hard for me to say. And I feel like this is something that is maybe it's not like something we expect or it's a lot of patterns, but I feel like this is something that we see kind of a lot in mm-hmm. kids. Okay, so this is when a non-labial sound, so such as th, is replaced by a labial sound, such as like I feel like most commonly it's f or v. It's those labiodental sounds, mm-hmm. and this should resolve by six years. So even though your kid is doing this, he's still got some time I know. to I know suppress it. it on his own. I'm just happy to help. <laughs> okay, so this is like a child saying mouth for mouth or teeth for teeth. I feel like that mm-hmm. one's really common. Super common. I get toothbrush, bath. Yeah, teeth. 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 At least it's not teethuses. Yes. <laughs> I had a kid that said teethuses for teeth. I don't even know what that is. Teethuses. <laughs> she had her own flair on it. She <laughs> she was making it fun. Why not? Or another example could be not at the end of the word. So feep for sheep. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. I'm so bathtub. Bathtub. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the, let's take a bath. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. But again, <laughs> it's, it's not so cute when you have an older kid doing it. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I record my session so that I can listen back. Mm-hmm. It's actually really, really, really hard to hear the difference between the th and the th. Well, I was thinking about so that hard. when I was just giving my examples. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. It's super hard to hear it. Yeah. Like I listen to the recordings and I'm and I know because I track it in the session too. But it's something to keep in mind if you are recording a session it can be really difficult to hear it, mm-hmm. especially if you can't see the mouth being shaped. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like you'll notice it a lot better if you're seeing them putting that tongue or their teeth, teeth. on their mm-hmm. lip, making that F sound. Yeah, which so, is why I think they could probably yeah. get away with it for longer. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they're it's supposed to resolve by by six, which is, again, it could they could totally get away with this longer mm-hmm. because you, you can't, you have to see it. Right. Okay, um, I'll do depalatization, which is when a palatal sound, such as the sh or z or ch, so c h z sounds, r g sounds, sorry, r and j sounds, um, are replaced by non-palatal sounds. So that's any of the non-palatal sounds, um, and that's supposed to resolve around five. I don't, I don't feel like I this is super common. I'm not sure, but I've never really seen or heard of this all that much but it's like it's common for a kid to say fit for fish yeah that's what i was gonna say but that's also but that's also stopping exactly yeah that's also stopping so i think it's probably going to be called for stopping a lot mm-hmm. more um just like labialization yeah um but it's still important know it live it breathe it <laughs> love it Learn it. And that's depalatization. I can't I can't with all of the isation ones. They're very hard for me to for me to say. <laughs> okay, so we only have two more phonological processes. Um, both of them resolve a little bit later. 
But Molly, why don't you go ahead and start? You can take lisping or a penthesis. Ooh. I'm going to go with a penthesis. Okay. So this one is kind of fun. It's when you add a vowel, usually it's the uh sound, between or around a cluster. Mm-hmm. But you still keep all of the sounds. Right. So like this is where keep, it's yeah. different from, what was it that we were saying? Lab- no, vowelization. Vowelization. Vowelization, so, yeah. it's replacing it right. versus this one, it's just adding it in and yeah. still, mean, like, still keeping all of the other sounds. Right. So this one, the child might say baloo for blue or bread for bread or black for black. Mm-hmm. And this is meant to resolve like way later. Yeah, like usually around eight, I think we expect it. Which is so interesting because I feel like if I heard a kid saying this... Mm-hmm. I would be like, let's let's work on that. Yeah. Interesting. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess it, I don't know, because they're not getting rid of any of the sounds. So it means they're That's producing true. the sounds. Mm-hmm. So maybe them just adding a vowel is not like the biggest deal because it doesn't really affect intelligibility. Yeah, it doesn't. So I don't That's really true. think that if the, if a child was just doing a parenthesis, I don't think it would qualify them for services in school. That's fair. Unless it was like really affecting their ability to be understood by their mm-hmm. teachers or peers and stuff. Yeah. Or if they're in like fifth grade. Yeah. Then for sure. Exactly. Um, okay. So I'll take the last one, which is lisping. So that's when the S sound, so S, is produced in an incorrect position. So they could be pr- producing it in the front, which is S. They could do lateral and they can do palatal, which I don't really know how to it's make like, this. It's like, <laughs> I can't even make it on here. It's hard. So I think you, oh, go ahead. I think you said for the front, it's not, I think you might've forgot that. No, it's, oh, did I do it wrong? Yeah. It's like when a kid is saying like, fitting. Or thip for sip. Yeah, or th- yeah. So we expect. Thinging, I'm thinging. Yeah, we expect those frontal lisps in normal development but if you have a kid, even a super young kid, that's showing lateral or palatal lisps, they need speech therapy right away because we do not expect that at all. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so some examples of the ones that we do expect, which is the frontal lisp, is like Molly was saying, if they're saying like, the sun is out for sun, or uh, can I have a sip of that? Like, or can I have some thoop? Thoop. Um, we expect, yeah, those we expect. Um, I don't really know when this is supposed to resolve, though. I, I can't really remember. Do you? I think it's around kindergarten. Okay. Or maybe even a little bit later, just because I remember our professor saying, if you see a kid in kindergarten and they're saying th- thumb for some, it's not really something that we're that worried about. But if you heard them saying thumb for thumb, mm-hmm. then that. Or for some, sorry. Yeah, I just quickly looked it up because I was super curious. Mm-hmm. And it says like four and a half. Yeah. So maybe in fifth grade. I'm fifth, oh, my fifth grade. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Maybe at five years old, we should be worried. Yeah. Or like getting them in the room. Maybe end of kindergarten-ish. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We'll see. Yeah. See if they like get a get acclimated to the way people are talking around them in fifth grade mm-hmm. and their peers and then, you know, see where they're at in the end. Yeah. Love it. Okay, so I think that's all of them, right? I think it is. 
Alrighty, well, I'm going to link in the show notes a link to Asha's listing of some of the most common phonological processes, the mommy speech therapy sound development chart, and her phonological processes chart, which both of those are going to talk about the ages that they should have either specific sounds or the ages where these phonological processes should resolve, and then more definitions. And that only has like one or two examples on it, but it's so great. It's a good start. Molly, thank you so much for jumping on today and helping out. Thanks for having me. It was fun to relive this again. (laughs) Yeah. This was something that I was very nervous that I didn't know when I was going into grad school Mm because I was like, I don't know what any of these phonological processes are. I don't even know the IPA chart. Mm -hmm. I was very nervous coming into grad school. I felt like I was super behind. But once you learn it, you like sit down, you're really taught it, you learn it. I feel like once you know it, they're in there. They're in your brain. For sure. And we actually made this super cool chart when to help us understand mm-hmm. some of the more common phonological processes. So maybe if I get approval from our group of friends who worked on it together, I can add it in the show notes too. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it's super helpful. Especially for those visual learners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks again, Molly, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And we will catch you all next week. Thank you all so much for listening to Speeching It Real. You can contact me anytime at speechingitreal at gmail.com. Come to me with any questions you want answered, people you'd like me to interview, or any suggestions. 